The Canucks are in Edmonton for the final game of their season. It is the Canucks Hour here. Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Dranch. You can read his work covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. It's the finish line, Drancer. Final Canucks game day of the year. Last day of school. They're set to take on a, a less than intimidating Edmonton Oilers lineup tonight. We'll get into that more as the show goes on. But yeah, last day of school, last day of the regular season. Uh, you know, next week there will be end of season availabilities and all that. And maybe some news comes out of that. It's points night for JT Miller. It is. Yes. Go, go get it. Yeah. Go get it. And he talked before the game today, and he he said, look, it's crossed my mind, right? Which is kind of hockey player code for, yeah, I really, really want to get to 100 points. And, yeah. you know, he said all the right things. I'm not going to cheat to do it. I'm still going to play my game. But it's definitely on the mind of JT Miller. And we'll talk about oh, that. Oh, tonight's the night. Not You're not going to cheat. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny. when like, of course, go cheat. We want to see it. Yeah, and I mean, you and I <laughs> talked about this game. We want to see it to it that there was a chance, you know, if Connor McDavid found himself in a race for the Art Ross, that it would be the Oilers doing everything they can to yeah. to push Connor McDavid instead, over the finish line. But he's up, so he's out. Instead, it's JT Miller yeah. points night, and let's go. Like that's that's what matters tonight. That matters way more than the result of the game. Like we all want to see JT Miller get a hundred points, especially because. <laughs> they sent the home crowd home happy last night. It, it's very much, tonight is very much um, the Simpsons episode, the Eat My Shorts Simpsons episode, where Bart's in class and everyone's just staring at him. And it's like, <laughs> do, say the thing, do the thing, get the two points. Like, yay! That's what we all want. Yeah. And I will say, from like a team building perspective, that that's the kind of, it's a collective project, right? In a, in a totally. situation like this where the whole team buys in, it's not just about Miller, it's about everyone doing their part to try to get him those 100 points. And again, in the grand scheme of things, you know, if he finishes with 99 versus 100 points, does it change anything going into next year? No, probably not. But it's something that the team can celebrate. It's something they can use to finish on a high note. And it's it's like a team bonding thing, right? To be, hey, we did it, guys. We got our guy 100 points. Good for us in the final game of the season. Yeah, so, yeah go nuts. It's good fun. Good, it's good fun. Go go play well. And uh, and look, there's, there's not a lot to play for around the NHL, right? Like, the last eight weeks have been a bit of a slog. The playoff race has never really materialized. Vegas fell out of it. Mm-hmm. Realistically, we knew when Vegas lost those four games in early... Um, in sorry, right before the trade deadline, right? That was like that two weeks before the trade deadline. Uh, Vegas's injuries piled up in in mid March, uh, mid February, I guess. Right, February twentieth was the trade deadline. Some, uh, no, March twenty first. March twenty first. Okay, yeah. so it was mid March, and and after that, it was like I think at that point, the eight playoff teams in the West that are the eight playoff teams in the West all hit eighty five plus percent on. You got the bell ready, uh, Dom Lecision's model, and at that point, the West was settled, and we kind of knew it. The East had been settled. The East has been settled for months and since months. mid November, and that made the end of this year like one of the least dramatic regular seasons in recent memory. Only highlighting the need for the NHL to play a to install a playing tournament. Right? I mean, think about it. Think about it this way for anyone who's a playing tournament skeptic. We'd be gearing up probably in in a world with a playing tournament to watch the Canucks play a playing game like Sunday and maybe Tuesday if they won, and it would be Vancouver Vegas. 
for the right to play one of Dallas or Nashville. And you're telling me that Dallas and Nashville's claim to a playoff spot should be yeah, protected should be over iron, 82? Iron Did you clad. see Dallas qualify after coughing up a 3 nothing lead to Arizona? Like, there's nothing about either of those teams that says, hey, that team deserves ironclad a playoff spot. Come on. Ridiculous. So, you know, it's too bad. It's too bad. The the way that this regular season played out across the league, not not just a Canucks thing, across the league, like, I think it needs to be talked about. I don't know why it's not a bigger issue. I don't know why it's not a topic for GM's meetings. Like, there's no way this is good for any anybody involved with the sport. This, it's not good for media. It's not good for players. It's not interesting for fans. Um, it's not good television. Like, th- this needs to be discussed. The, the end of the season was you know, from an entertainment value perspective, just about as dull as it gets. And it's too bad because next week the playoffs are going to start and we're going to be like, oh, oh, right. It's going to be oh, great. Oh, meaningful hockey is so good. And it's like, yeah, let's let's let we don't we don't want to water it down. We just want more of it. And instead, the uh, NHL regular season is going to end with the Jets hosting the Kraken at 11 a.m. Hey, Pacific time con- on Sunday. Congratulations for the Kraken playing into May in their inaugural season. <laughs> Truly a tremendous accomplishment. Wow. Yeah, I thought oh. about that this morning when I checked. What, um, an, what an absolute stinker to end the season. And I know it's rescheduled because of weather and all that. I get it. It wasn't put there on purpose. But, oof, yeah, I'd, I'd much rather watch some play-in games than that one on Sunday morning. Yeah, well, for sure. And, you know, it's it's just too bad. It's just too bad that the season sort of was such a, you know, ended on such a dull note. And that's, and that's with a point system that's supposed to avoid this exact thing, right? Like, it's supposed to theoretically keep teams in the race as long as possible, and it didn't even do that this year. I, I kind of have a theory that parity is um, quickly... A myth? Uh, well, I, I've always thought that parity is a myth at the top end. But I, I increasingly feel like there are have teams and have not teams and it's no longer as much about budget or or spending as it is about teams that understand how to navigate the cap system and teams that don't this year really felt like there were way fewer teams caught in that quote mushy middle than normal right? yeah there were a lot of teams that were like we know we're going to be bad if we make some sort of miracle run that's awesome like detroit was maybe in the back of their mind thinking they could make a playoff push but it's not a disaster but they or, did it or anaheim yeah right they're building they're fine with that. You know, that really it's, you know, you pr- throw Vancouver. the Canucks in there. Philly, certainly, who had just a disaster 100%. season. Montreal is a really difficult to judge case because of the injuries and the entire situation but, there. But I think Montreal's a really good example where it's like Montreal was one of three teams willing to carry themselves with meaningful buying power during the pandemic season. The first pandemic season. So the 2020 offseason, the Montreal Canadiens went out and spent... Like like wildfire, right? Joel Edmondson, uh, Jake Allen, um, obviously Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, on and on, right? Like big money contracts. They were extending guys, uh, Brendan Gallagher. Everyone else was counting their shekels and the Montreal Canadiens were spending. The, the only other, there's really only two other teams that were, were behaving in that manner. And it was the New Jersey Devils and the Florida Panthers. And not a coincidence, both of those ownership groups are involved in algorithmic high-volume trading, right? So it's like they'd had a really good year financially. Almost nobody else had. And so those teams were spending, the Montreal Canadiens were spending. And you know that there's a few teams that probably would have if they weren't capped out, right? Like one imagines that the New York Rangers and the Toronto Maple yeah. Leafs, if they'd, if they'd had cap flexibility, might have conducted themselves that way too now the florida panthers spent really wisely over in terms of in terms of improving their prospects for the long haul the montreal canadians i think 
incurred massive opportunity costs. And yes, they made a miracle run to the Stanley Cup final, which sort of indicates it. But they also won, I think they won fewer games than the Vancouver Canucks during the 2021 season. Yeah, they were not, in a, the good, regular they were not season, a good regular season. In the regular season, all. they just like kept losing in overtime. They kept getting past regulation, so they made the playoffs. But like, I think if you look at the standings, um, and I, I don't have internet at I'll the get moment. It, I'll but, get it up right But here. I believe they won fewer games than the Vancouver Canucks. They, they won one more game. One more game. They won 24 games in 50, out of 56. The Canucks won 23 out of 56. So, I mean, it's not like the Montreal Canadiens built a great team, but they had a great playoff run. Credit to them. It's just that they also made such terrible moves and spent so inefficiently that they, you know, faded this year. Now, Shea Weber context is crucial to keep in mind. Carey Price context is crucial to keep in mind. But in the most favorable buyer's market that we've ever seen in my lifetime, and in a world where they were one of three teams with buying power, you should come out of that setup for a decade. And the Montreal Canadiens instead were set up for one miracle playoff run that barely even happened. Yep. And so this is exactly what I'm talking about. One team, one team understood the the value that they could add by taking a lot of small swings and one team went out and got built for the playoff type aging players and one had astounding playoff success got extremely lucky but they're uh, they're literally the 32nd place team a year later and are going to have to undo a fair number of those moves in the years ahead and, and probably at, at cost. I mean, there's no way after the season he's had, for example, that the Brendan Gallagher extension. And I love me some Brendan Gallagher. Love me some Brendan Gallagher. That's but I mean, that's a tough one, though, after this season. There's, and, n- there's no way that's a value add for a rebuilding organization, yeah. right? I mean, on and on, the, the list of sins is lengthy. And this is exactly what I'm talking about with the, with the false parody, right? You can see it. You can see it in the disparate paths that Montreal and Florida took, in my view. Yeah, and again, the, we're way off topic. On the Canucks, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're I'm just sorry. we're just talking hockey. It's yeah. all right, but we'll get we'll get to the Canucks in the game last night in the game tonight. But yeah, this year really crystallized the gap between, and it's easiest to see in the Eastern Conference, obviously, but just the gap between a whole bunch of teams that are just fine rebuilding, a whole bunch of teams that know they're going to be really, really good, and this is their time to strike, and then a, an increasingly smaller number of teams kind of just in that, again, mushy middle who are, don't yeah. really know where they're going, right? Well, that, and I think that's a trend we're going to see continue. At, at least through the flat cap era, because the flat cap also added stress, right? And I think made priorities even more apparent to teams, right? It was like, okay, we're not going to win the cup and we're only going to have 50% attendance. So let's just, you know, this is our year to rebuild or, or last year was the year to rebuild and sort of where the Canucks themselves have gotten themselves into trouble is that they changed directions twice, right? Instead of being like, okay, the pandemic's going to be tough financially. Let's look to the future. They were like, no, let's still try to make the playoffs. Let's just also cut spend. And then the next year they were they were behaving desperately to make the playoffs. And look, they've built a 90-plus point team. Um, the, the average playoff bar in the West going into this season, 93 points, which the Canucks at this point, in my view, especially with McDavid and Dreisaitl resting tonight, are likely to be. They're likely to be a 93-point yep. team. So... You know, historically, based on the average of the last five years, that's good enough. That's that's going to get you to the playoffs most years in the West. It's just that this year it's not. And, in fact, this year, um, you know, you're still going to miss by three. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online 
at DunbarLumber.com if you have thoughts about our just kind of <laughs> ramblings about the NHL. Our, 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 ex- our niche takes on the impact <laughs> of the cap on, on and, and the pandemic Get- on demolishing the myth of parody in the NHL. Get ready for three more months of this in the offseason, everybody. Oh, this is this is great, though. <laughs> Who doesn't like this stuff? No, I'm fired up for it as well. But if you have thoughts on that, <laughs> uh, thoughts on the Canucks, questions about the Canucks offseason, anything. If you have up. thoughts on that, and why would you? <laughs> <laughs> the 650, you're not, 650 Dunbar Lemberg. You're not a, you're not a sicko like us. Why would you have thoughts <laughs> on that? But yeah, hit us up 650, 650. Okay, I want to talk about the game last night because obviously we know they were not, there was nothing at stake technically, long since eliminated from playoff contention or, you know, two days ago or whatever. So it's not a meaningful game in that sense. But we talked about it on the show yesterday, Drancer, the importance of. Sending the home crowd home for the final game of the season on a high note with something fun to watch and something really fun to cheer about. And boy, it didn't start that way. It sure didn't start that way because for the first half or so of that game, uh, not even just about the Canucks effort in particular, although that was lacking, but just the game itself was not particularly entertaining. But hey, credit to the team for finding a way to turn it on, give the crowd something to really get excited about, and then eventually... Finishing strong and doing exactly what you want. Send them home with an exciting win to be happy about. And the thing that really stuck out to me as well was this should be, on the regular, a very exciting, entertaining team to watch. Because, you know, who are, who are the people making it that last night, right? It was Brock Besser scoring two goals. Quinn Hughes with an incredible move at the blue line to set up Alex Chason. You know, Elias Pettersson picked up a couple of points. They have some ex- some guys who are really fun to watch hockey. Pettersson Pedersen picked up hockey. a couple points, but he didn't pick up the obvious trip <laughs> on Blake Lazard on the game winner. That was uh, that was an absolute like, you know, even the refs are ready for game eighty two. <laughs> oh yeah, like, I, oh, I was stunned. I was sitting there. I was like, wow, wow, I can't believe they got away with that one. Um, I loved seeing Pedersen and Besser just like cook. You know, it's fun to watch. Like it's just fun to watch. It's That's like, the thing. They they have they have really exciting players on yeah, this team. They do. Especially especially watching those two play with Pod Colson and have the success that they had last night. You know, it's like, okay, I like that. I want to see more of that. That line hasn't pretty had interesting. A ton, that line hasn't had a ton of success. They played thirty three minutes together. Their underlying profile as a line was is appalling overall, right? Like I'm talking like thirty three percent control of expected goals. But Last night, with that line on the ice, the Kings were outshot 9-3 to by Vancouver. So, you know, signs of life. Pod Colson's a different player now than he was earlier in the year when, when they tried it out. So, I want to see that line get some run because well, it makes a lot of sense to me. And Pod Colson's a different player. Pedersen's operating at a much higher level. Much higher Besser's level. Besser's operating at a higher level, yep. right? Like, all of those guys are different than they were, you know, December, January at this point. 19 goals in his last 48 games for Brock Besser, right? Which is a 30-goal pace over half the season. Considering that he was injured prior to training camp, came in and looked slow, right? Like, looked really slow in the first 20 games, 25 games. Felt a step slow. Felt a step behind. Couldn't get to the battles that he was winning. Uh, and then, you know, once he sort of put that behind himself, the club changed coaches goes off on a 30-goal pace over 50 games. This is a guy who led the team in scoring just a year ago, right? And is a 30-goal and 64-point guy per 82 over a 300-game career. He's 25 years old. I, I mean, we are, we are sleeping on Brock Besser, I think. We are sleeping on the fact that this guy is a pretty durable top-of-the-lineup point producer, um, you know, who's got a very complicated uh 
contractual situation for the club to navigate here in the in the weeks ahead. We talked about it at length yesterday. We'll talk about it at length for oh the next eight weeks until mm-hmm. the deal's done. But you know, I think it's really important to note, vital to note just how good this guy is. And and it was nice for him to put up a bulletin at Rogers Arena and, and, and a reminder uh, ahead of you know an off season that may define the rest of his Canucks tenure. It's the kind of thing, and really last night with two goals and the winner to punctuate it was really cool to see. But even since he's come back from injury, to me, he's looked noticeably faster uh, no, and noticeably better, to be fair. And it's the kind of thing where it's it's such a small sample size, it's not going to radically change your opinion of the player or even necessarily of his the season that he's had. But And I've said this before on the show, it's just a good reminder of the upside that is there. And I think seeing him with Pedersen has been a really good reminder of the chemistry that those two can have at their best. Yeah, the more poten- of that, please. The potential fit there at the top of the lineup for the Canucks. And and I know you wrote about this a bit at The Athletic today as well. Look, Brock Besser's production is down relative to his standard, especially at 5-on-5 five five this year. Now, as you pointed out, there's a lot of interesting underlying factors behind that, like things that you don't expect to continue, that you can chalk up to luck. But even beyond that, again, it, we're only a year removed from him him being the best forward on this team. Yeah. The most productive, consistent, best forward on the team, right? So it's not as if – I think sometimes people, oh, like, what's he done since his rookie season? Well, I don't know. Last year he was awesome. He was really good last year. So does that count for anything, or are we just wiping that whole season out because it was such a mess from a team perspective? It's not as if you have to go back three, four years to find examples of Brock Besser being consistent and really, really good – He's done it quite recently, actually, and if if the final six, seven games and what he's doing in them can just kind of remind everyone of that and what the upside looks like, again, it's not going to change your opinion. It doesn't wipe out everything that happened this season with Brock Besser, but it serves as a reminder that, oh, yeah, there's a reason everyone was really hyped and excited about this guy because at his best, he's a, he's a no doubt about it top-of-the-lineup player. Yeah, he's really, really good. I mean, what has he done since his rookie season? Um you know, we're talking about a 256-point guy over 323 games, 121 goals. Again, that's 30 goals per 82. And not and not a small sample we're talking about here, right? We're talking about 350 games, yeah. Jamie, right? Um, <laughs> Brock Besser's really good. Brock Besser, Brock Besser the, the, the disrespect for on, put on Brock Besser's name will not stand here. And, and I do think that we need to, or I don't think we need to, I think the club needs to keep this player. I do. I, I don't think there's any good options to trade him this offseason. The, the the situation with his qualifying offer, the hot potato that's been thrown to Patrick Alvin's um, to Patrick Alvin, it's it's hot. It's spicy, no question. It, it's going to neuter Besser's trade value. So this is the wrong time to do that deal. Um, you know, the the qualifying offer is too high, no question. The arbitration path is is problematic. Like the only thing to do here is to spend eight weeks trying to grind out an acceptable compromise on a, you know, probably ideally a medium term deal, right? Ideally a, a three, four ter- year term deal um, that, that, you know, comes in at a level that you're more comfortable paying him than 7.5, which is too high. I mean, it is, it is like, there's no argument for 7.5, but, but there's definitely an argument for six. I think there's an argument for six, five. Um, you know, we, we live in a world now where there are, a hundred plus six million dollar players in the NHL, right? It's not, it's not rarefied air anymore. And, and and you know, Besser's up there in terms of his production. We're talking about a first line rate score. We're talking about a top hundred and twenty five uh, forward in the NHL. Um, 
you know, that's that's sort of the level that you want this to come in at. It's imperative that the club navigates it. It's a super complicated, difficult test for new Canucks management. Although, look, they've they've nailed a few of the early ones, right? They've managed just to shed some salary. They've managed to add some speed and youth to the back end. The the Richardson Mott um, play is sort of the big one that stands out to me as as like a really good proof of concept, right? You, can you can you move a guy and make the trade you have to make and replace the guy? Can you do that? Um, they have. They've done it once, but they have to do it a bunch of times, and they have to do it a bunch of times at higher leverage in, spots, in higher in the stakes. Yeah, and and so not an easy test by any means, not an easy task ahead, but certainly some reason for optimism going into the offseason. Uh, unsigned text six fifty six fifty says, "When will we get a bell for when Drance hypes up Brock asking for friends?" I don't know. I think we have to be judicious adding extra bell rings uh, to the mix here because we, you know. Well, although I don't know, because Do- the Dom Luchesen playoff model will be going away, presumably. Although Correct. I guess unless he's doing well, who, Stanley Cup odds or something. I mean, I mean, I hype up. I've hyped up this season. I feel like the guys who I've really hyped up when they were taking bullets were Garland, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat. Decent, decent track record based on what what then occurred. No. Yeah, no, all good players, all really good players. I mean, I like good players. I don't, I don't know. I'm biased. I am biased. I'm biased toward good players. I'm sorry. Uh, Greg, the dairy farmer says, I'm impressed that Brock has 23 goals on a poor season with a mix of injuries as well. And Susan in North Van says, Besser's down year is connected to Pedersen's down year. For Besser to have success, he needs to be glued to Pedersen's hip for the next several years seasons and as you were saying look there's there's something there the chemistry that those two have is real and if i was kind of penciling in lineups uh on on the back of napkins for next year's training camp that's probably would be my starting place as well well and you can't ignore either that Pedersen got hot mostly playing away from brock besser so in the minutes that they've spent together and it's a fairly large sample it's like four or five hundred minutes this season at five on five their on ice shooting percentage is at six percent uh, actually, it's below six percent. These are two guys who routinely carry on ice shooting percentages in the double fig- in double digits, right? So, with Pedersen and Brock on the ice, the club usually outscores their opponents significantly. And part of that is that you've got two high end finishers on the same line, two guys who are legitimate, bona fide one shot scorers on the first line uh, or on the on the ice together. And this year, their f- goaltenders stopped ninety three plus percent of shots that they took. That's not going to last. That's not who these guys are. These guys are. Guys who turn back the clock, who make goalies look like they're five nine chain smokers playing nineteen eighties hockey. <laughs> so you know, I think the I think the thing to remember here is you got to let that sample expand, and and the good times will roll so long as you keep two really good players who clearly like playing with each other and have games that are complimentary stick together for a stretch. Uh, six fifty six fifty again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. Questions about the off season, what you what you saw last night, what you want to see tonight. We'll talk lots more about the Canucks. I do want to uh, get to our trivia question for the day again. Final day this week, we are giving away a four pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. Uh, the Vancouver Discount Golf Card is great for those that want to play golf in the Lower Mainland and Washington State at hugely reduced rates by getting amazing two-for-one deals and more. All you need to do is book your tee time according to the rules of the offer and present your Discount Golf Card at the participating courses when you arrive. That's it. Play some of your favorite courses at great rates. Course and offer restrictions apply. So, the Canucks have a chance to set a bit of franchise history tonight. Drancer. If if they win, if the Canucks win tonight, they're at 91 points right now. They will go to 93 points. And the Canucks franchise record for most points in a season without making the playoffs 
is 92. So they would break that franchise record. So what we're asking you today is, again, the Canucks franchise record for most points in a season without making the playoffs is 92. In what season did the team set that record? So again, what season did they finish with 92 points and not make the playoffs? Text in now, 650-650 for your chance to win a four-pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. Lots to get into with the Canucks. I want to talk about Spencer Martin. Look ahead to the game tonight as well. That's all coming up next. It's your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Final segment of the week on the final game day of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. We asked you a trivia question just before the break there. It was uh, for a four-pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. The question was, the Canucks franchise record for most points in a season without making the playoffs is 92 what season did they set that record in? And shout out to Jeremy in Richmond, who had the correct answer. The 2005-2006 season is when that record was set. And uh, interesting is that not regime change in season, and certainly not to the same degree we saw it here this year, Drancer, but that was the final year of Mark Crawford behind the bench for the Vancouver Canucks, and then AV took over the following year. So it did result in some significant uh, organizational change. And I also say uh, shout out to uh, Alex Ald, who was the starting goalie. Played played like 67 games, 67 too. games. I think that's like the third most all-time for a Canucks goaltender in a season. Demko, uh, because of his injury, was one game short of becoming, I think, just the fourth netminder in club history to play 65 or more. Uh, so... You know, a, a testament to just how hard the club rode him this season. Uh, and something that they have to avoid next year, which is why Spencer Martin continuing to be outrageous is, is such a big development. Because you need him to play 22 minimum next year. 22. Like, it's not 18, it's not 20, it's 22 games. You need 22 games from Spencer Martin next season. Absolutely non-negotiable, absolutely essential. And you're seeing the proof of it in the Nashville Predators, who could drop, by the way, to play the Colorado Avalanche in round one. And if they draw the Colorado Avalanche without UC Soros, like, thanks for coming out. Oof. That's going to make Daryl Sutter look very smart. Very smart, if that's how if that's how this goes. And it could well, although I never want to bet on that Dallas team. My goodness. But, yeah, so you need to, you need to rest Demko. And luckily, or not luckily... But because credit to him. Credit to him. Credit to uh, Curtis, Clark, Sanford, Curtis Sanford. Curtis Sanford as well. Yep. For sure. For the, the work they've done with Spencer Martin. 100%. And, and to, um, you know, the Canucks for identifying the need for a veteran goaltender. And ultimately, in collaboration, uh, Ryan Johnson and Ian Clark kind of led the charge on identifying Spencer Martin as a, as a guy available for free from Tampa this offseason. Um, Tampa had only signed Martin so that they had uh, protection. Through the expansion draft, they needed a goaltender signed to a deal. Spencer Martin fit that bill. He got a he got a two way contract as a result. This is the first one way contract of his career. What a story! Literally traded for a bag of pucks, and I mean literally, like like the way that you used to hear about in old <laughs> yeah. you know old in the wives' 70s tales or whatever. Yeah, old hockey wives' tales. Uh, this is legitimately something that happened. And Spencer Martin's been a f phenomenal contributor to Vancouver. I think you can say, honestly, that he's personally... That win that he had in Winnipeg, for example, 
the Canucks got shelled that game, and they won and looked decent doing it because Spencer Martin robbed them, stole everything, everything hit him. And and last night too, that that team that game should have been over at the midway point. That should have been a three um, a three nil game. Um, or or a three one game because Besser probably should have gotten the one that he you know uh, Cal Peterson absolutely robbed him with that sprawling save in the second. But you know that that game should have been over and would have been if not for Spencer Martin, um, who just held the Canucks in there. He's up to seven goals saved above expected this season, which in five starts leads all Canucks goaltenders, including including should be a no doubter Vesna nominee Thatcher Demko. He yeah. has more goals it, saved above expected than th- uh, the, than Thatcher Demko. The, the thing with Spencer Martin is it's it's tempting to be like, oh yeah, nice story. He's come up and played well. He's he's done so much more than played well. He has a nine fifty one save percentage <laughs> through five games. Nine fifty one. He's and been even, outrageous. Even last night, I think uh, I heard somebody say, kind of on the bench after or in the room, he was like, hey, thanks for picking me up because I you know I didn't like those goals I let. And it's like, what? It was thirty three saves on thirty five shots or something like that's really good. That's a nine forty save percentage. He's nine fifty over five games. He's been, he hasn't just been good. He's been phenomenal he's for been this outrageous. team in the, in the chances that he's got. Well, and that leaves some room. Like Spencer Martin's not going to be a 950 goaltender over 22 games. Hot take. Hot take alert. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Slow down there, Guys, Spencer. we're all done. We don't need any more. Have you seen this viral video? So good. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're all out of hot takes. Yeah. Um, the, but, but they don't need him to be. They need him to be like 903, 95, 905. That, that's good enough that you can make the playoffs with that level of performance from your backup while keeping your starter rested. And so he's got some room to regress and still be an extremely valuable <laughs> contributor. And, you know, as much as people are salivating thinking about a $5.75 million goaltending tandem, right, it's important to note, too, that this is not going to be an efficiency for the team next season, right? They are navigating still a $3.125 million cap hold because of the Holtby buyout, because of Halak's performance bonus overage, right? Because of, of inherited dead money in the goaltending position, at the goaltending position. That's not ideal. Not ideal, clearly. But if Martin can be reliable next year, the year after that, you could realize significant, significant efficiency in net. With Demko and Martin, that could be a real strength of this team beginning in 2023-2024. Yeah, it's a little bit of, of a ways out, but that's okay. That's okay. The Canucks have a lot of ground to close with some of the teams in the Pacific. We went through it the other day, right? Making the playoffs next year is going to be difficult. It is. But there are brighter days ahead, and one reason for optimism, genuinely, is the situation and goal and the positioning of that, not just in terms of Martin's emergence and Demko's emergence as one of the league's best starters, but because of how they're positioned cap-wise, um, you know, that's a that's a nice little trick that, that Canucks management is, has played out here, and pulled off here. it's also, you know, you want to realize the benefit of having Ian Clark in your organization, not just from him helping Thatcher Demko reach the heights he's reached, although that's incredibly important, but also by making sure you have credible goaltending depth in your organization, right? And the, the two goalies with the Canucks right now are, of course, Spencer Martin and Archer Silovs. Now, Boudreaux didn't 100% explicitly confirm that Spencer Martin would start tonight in Edmonton. That's the way I would bet, just because of Archer Silovs. Well, and he said probably. Yeah, probably. So I would imagine that Ian Clark would love to see Silovs play a game, and so we'll see We'll see how it ultimately crumbles. But I won't be shocked if Silovs leads the team out for warm-up skate. I'd be surprised mildly, but I won't be shocked. Um, 
you know, and all of this, of course, poses some interesting questions about Mike DiPietro and what's next for him. Um, you know, Silov seems to be the apple of of the Canucks goaltending uh, leadership's eye. Spencer Martin's got the one-way contract. When when they signed the Halak deal, one thing that I sort of wrote at length last offseason was that they're now setting this up. DiPietro has to be the guy next year because he's going to be affordable and cost-controlled, and the backup market is going wild, and this is how this is going to have to be, right? In a world where backups cost on average $2 million, uh, you know, they're going to need DiPietro to be the guy. The fact that Martin gets the extension, mm-hmm. I think, was enormously telling and, and sort of poses some difficult questions, too, for what the club's going to do with a prospect who's not far removed from being a really highly regarded goalie prospect. You know, uh, this was a guy who started for Team Canada at the World Juniors, uh, a guy who played in a Memorial Cup for the Windsor Spitfires, a guy who's got a lot of admirers because of his character and because of his athleticism and because of his gumption, like his, you know, complete refusal to quit on plays. Um so, you know, it's a good asset. He's a good asset. And yet the club has minimized the extent to which that's true in terms of the eyes of the league. And that's because of how they handled their backup goaltending position in 2021. It's because he was so clearly surpassed by a journeyman this year. Uh, you know, that's going to be a fascinating one to watch play out this offseason. And it's a situation to keep your eye on. Uh, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text slide. Keep your thoughts coming in, your questions coming in about the Canucks offseason. This one came in uh, to the tail end of the first segment, and we were talking about Brock Besser and how ultimately likely the best course of action for the team, despite the qualifying offer situation, is to try to work out an extension rather than trading him. And this question comes in unsigned. How are you keeping Besser, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, Garland, Podkolzin, Hoaglander, and finding a top right-hand defenseman for Hughes? And it's an interesting question because you just run through that list of forwards, right? Besser, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, Garland, Podkolzin, Hoaglander. And there are extremely compelling arguments to make for keeping all of them around, right? Like very, very compelling arguments. None of them do you look at and say, oh man, you have to get that guy off the team. He's really dragging you down. There's very good reasons to want to have all of them here. But I also understand the texture's perspective of, well, hold on a second, right? This team didn't make the playoffs. They don't have a lot of draft capital. They don't have a lot of prospects. They don't have salary cap flexibility. So if you're just returning the same group, how are they going to take that necessary next step forward? And, you know, not to not to belabor this point necessarily, but of those names, the texture listed, right? Besser, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, Garland, Podkolzin, Hoaglander, if you do kind of come to the the conclusion of look, they gotta they have to make moves somehow, some way to change things up, to set themselves on a path to actually improve and take that next step forward, and you just kind of go through that those those list of names, and Miller is the one that stands out as the most logical to potentially trade. And I, I've I've found like I've been on that for months at this point now, Drancer, but he's the kind of most logical guy to trade. I will say, as he gets closer to 100 points, like, I find my willpower wavering a little bit. <laughs> Just the idea of kind of, you know, cavalierly uh, endorsing trading a 100-point player, it starts to get a little scarier for me, but... Then I just keep, I, I do this exercise that the texture's talking about, right? Well, okay, if I want to keep Horvat, I want to keep Besser, I want to keep Garland, you know, Patterson isn't untouchable for me, and you just run down the list of guys you're wanting to keep, eventually you can't keep everyone. You're going to have to make changes. This group is going to have to make changes in some way, and I just keep coming back in that analysis to JT Miller, despite the incredible season that he's having. The... 
yeah, it's age. It's all it is is age. There's no there's no like secret here, right? It's about age and how close this team is. This team went all in on making the playoffs this year and is going to fall short. And there's not a ton of prospects coming. There's not a ton of cap flexibility coming. So you have to be very, very conscientious about who you're committing money to. Um, Miller's up after next year, but following a career year, the incentive on his end has to be, has to be, to get a deal done this year, like this summer. This summer is crucial for for JT Miller with where he's at, at, at in his career. And so, you know, how the club navigates it is going to be an extremely crucial thing to monitor, but Besser's 25, Garland's 26, Horvat's 28? 27. But turns 28 shortly. I thought he just turned 27. Okay. I could be wrong about that. No, maybe he is legitimately two years younger than JT Miller. He's 27. 27. He's 27. JT Miller's 29, and he's going to be 30 at the tail end of this contract. You're you're buying when you pay JT Miller, and you're probably looking at something like 8.5 times 8. You're buying all age 30 seasons versus doing a five-year deal with Brock Besser or doing a you know seven-year deal with Bo Horvat or even an eight-year deal where where at least you're getting his 28 29 age 30 season um you know and and only getting um and only getting you know the early part of his 30s as opposed to 37 38 at 8.5 which can kill you yeah which can kill you and the other thing to remember here too is like that's going to be Pedersen's age 29 season. That's going to be Pedersen's age 28 season. You have to be so conscious in the cap era of when you crest, like when you hit with everything. You have to align sort of everything to, to kind of hit all at once in a way where you can maximize the amount of talent that you fit under the cap and take a couple of your best shots to win a cup. It's really going to be hard to navigate because of where this team is structurally and all the contracts that you have coming up. So how do they keep all of these pieces? They don't. They have to make tough decisions. They cannot shy away from that. And that's why the Richardson example is so crucial. When you look at JT Miller and what he's done for this team this year, right? The hardest question answered, the best rebuttal to anyone who's saying, well, they have to move on from him because of his age. The best rebuttal is this. Well, how does this team replace him? They don't. You can't. I mean, he's a hundred point. He's a hundred point player. He's a hundred point winger slash center who runs the power play off the half wall and wins sixty percent of draws. There's like and, one and JT penalties. Miller. Yeah. yeah, there's one or two JT Millers in the whole league. You know, so <laughs> I mean, how do you replace that guy? That's a really important thing to note too. Like, can you do it? Can you do it at all? And if you can't, can you get to eighty percent? Can you get to seventy percent? Can you get to sixty percent? Like where? Where can you replace him for? At what level? How much are you going to get out of out of replacing him? I think that's a really crucial question that management's going going to be wrestling with. I don't think that's you know that I expect them to be. They're going to be well, wrestling with to. this. They, they have to. They have to. You, even if you eventually decide, you know what, we can't stomach trading him. You're you're, you're going to go through the deliberations and, and game it out and, yeah, and wrestle with and, it and and do the cost benefit analysis. Yeah, exactly. And and it's just that you know re-signing J T Miller would be a no brainer if this was a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Or or a playoff team with a chance to be elite in the year's head. I think the reason that you know Miller would stand out over Garland and Besser in addition to age is opportunity, right? Miller has been the featured player for this team in terms of the opportunities given to him, the, the ice time he plays. You, you saw Joey Kenward ask uh, Bruce Boudreaux yesterday, right? Um, you played JT Miller a lot, trying to get him to 100. No, I played him a lot because he's, he's our best player. He's my, he's my guy. 
We, and, we were trying to win the game, and he's our best player. And JT Miller does that. JT Miller play, logs a ton of ice time. He logs defenseman-level ice time on a nightly basis for this team. Um, they run the entire power play through him, right? One thing I think this organization also has to be mindful of, particularly because they're asset poor and particularly because they need to reload, uh, de- make those make those deposits to pay off the yes. credit card yep. debt. Uh, because of that, you know, one, thi- one thing about moving Miller is that you do open up opportunities. You do open up a spot on the power play for Besser to switch back to the flank. Um, you know, maybe Gar- Garland goes in at the net front or, or in the bumper. Uh, all of a sudden, maybe you can value those assets up higher. Maybe those guys become 60, 65, you know, 30 goal scorers, right? You, they get that opportunity. And then if those guys aren't the guys who necessarily are, in your view, um, you know, the the meat of your next championship team, well, then you're selling high on those guys too. And you sort of have to, in my view, treat the next couple of years anyway, not as years in which, you know, you, you, you can't afford to be bad because you're not... You've got too much talent to be really bad. You're never going to compete no. with the Arizona. Have you seen the Arizona Coyotes? No. You're never going to compete it's, with the Arizona Coyotes. If, if at the, the bottom of the standings, the amount of work, hard work the Canucks would have to put in to getting to that state is you, just they're so bad. You cannot suck that much with Thatcher Demko in the no. net. You can't. Like it's not possible. And you definitely can't suck that much with Thatcher Demko in the net, plus Quinn Hughes on the blue line, plus Elias Pettersson out front. Like, it's It's just... It's not happening. It's not doable. So, this team has too much talent to do that. That's not a realistic path forward. What's the realistic path forward? For me, me it's... You have to treat the next couple of seasons as reloading seasons. You need to be working through a conveyor belt of of just grafting value, young talent, uh, back into the organization. It's bled talent. It's bled this type of value in every deal it's made. And and you can go down the list. I mean, it's the opposite of the, I traded a paperclip into a house story, right? <laughs> it's, it's we had a Ryan Kessler. He became a Nick Bonino and a Lucas Spisa and a Jared McCann. And then we got Sutter and Goodbranson out of that. And then Goodbranson became Pearson. And, you know, it's like, well, you're not better for that. That doesn't make you better. Is as good a season as Tanner Pearson has had. So, you know, you need to be so mindful of reversing that trend. You need to you need to spend several years sort of upping that value. And, and I think the, in addition to the age thing, because of the opportunities that Miller opens up in the event that he's moved, plus the cap space, plus the fact that he'd have the most trade value by a lot among all these players on the roster, you know, if that's your plan, if you're going to execute the conveyor belt, add value to, to every level of the organization so that you crest, so that you can take a big shot, you know, in years four and five of Demko's extension when Pedersen is 25 and, and Hughes is 24, like two years down the line, you know, I, I think that kind of starts with trading Miller. However, make no mistake, this team is not better by any right. means and will and will not be better for a couple of years in the event that that's the 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 route they choose. And Alistair in Clearwater makes a point that you touched on touched on there. If there's anything that this management group can learn from the last management group, it's to avoid selling low at all costs, wait for Besser, for example, to return to form, and then make your decision. And then Snoop the Dog texts in, uh, just a tip, instead of feeling the pains of a 100-point player, focus on the jackpot we should be able to bring back for Miller. And I think those two points together are important because that does enter into the equation, right? This is in all likelihood JT Miller's peak season and peak value on the trade market, right? And so that also factors into the equation when you're deciding which of the, you know, good, talented, desirable forwards that you might want to move. Now, Garland, I think there was a time 
at one point in the season where he was slumping, where you would say his value is probably lower than it was when they acquired him now. I don't know if his strong play recently has done it wouldn't, uh, no. enough to bump that back up. But as you, to your point, there could be a lot of opportunity for a guy like Connor Garland here, right? So even if even if you're Patrick Alvin and you, you look at Connor Garland and you think, you know what, he's not really an ideal top six for the type of NHL team I want to build, well, you don't have to trade him now. Right? Put put him on power play one. Get him to 60-plus points. Then start calling teams to see if they want to take on Connor Garland. There's no rush to take that make, make that deal right now. The interesting thing about Garland is that there are teams that would value him enormously. And there it's are big teams spread. that would not. Yeah. The, the opinion around Garland, and, and at the end of the day, this comes down to size. Like, unfortunately for, for Garland, because he works so hard, he's... Completely, like, I honestly think he should be at the net front on the power play. Just the way that he chokes up on his stick, his hands in tight, uh, the way that he's willing to take punishment, the amount of penalties he'd draw just because of the size he's disadvantage, yeah. he'd be incredible. Like, I honestly think that's a perfect spot for him. You like five on threes? You, you like greasy goals from a guy who's got his lower hand literally on his stick blade as he's hitting this puck into the net? Um, yeah, I mean, you saw him bat that puck in, right? Like, you know, I... I I had a brief conversation with Luke Robitaille in the press box yesterday, and it's like Luke Robitaille was one of the great net front guys in the history of the game. There is nothing imposing about Luke Robitaille physically. It's just that he had the best hands. Lucky Luke. He wasn't lucky. He was incredible. His, he had he had a lead hand eye. I just I see that with Garland. You saw the bunt the other day, right? Like he can do that job. So, in my opinion, anyway. But this team instead, you know, brought in Alex Chason and glues Tanner Pearson to the net front and clearly cares a lot about having size in those, um, you know, dirty areas. And and look, there's value there. There's You can't teach it, right? There, There's no question that heavy play matters in the NHL. This is, this is a very tough league. But I just think Garland has the personality to excel despite any disadvantages there. My view, anyway, to come back to this. There is a massive spread on Garland, but I don't think him finishing the season in the type of form that he began the season in and that he's tended to, um, you know, be closer to. I don't think his first line scoring clip, you know, let me give you another example. Alex Kerfoot Mm -hmm. is another guy who's five on five scoring just absolutely leaps off the page. Well, I still don't think Alex Kerfoot's going to be valued as the 42nd best forward in hockey, even if the five on five scoring suggests that, you know, he was excellent this season. Uh, that's how it is. That's how it is. I don't think Garland's value is any higher right now than it was uh, before the season. I don't think he hurt his value this season, but I certainly don't think he's upped it at all. Uh, there's a big spread in terms of the volatility of his evaluation around the league. That that would be a complicated deal to do. I wouldn't be stunned to see the club consider that, but for me, that would be for me. Garland's a guy who, if you can ever get him to the point where you're like in the playoffs and he has a big series and he excels in like a heavy hockey environment as a, as a smaller player and erases a lot of those concerns that would change the, the the only way that you could really up his value it wouldn't even be about 70 points it would be if you put him in a heavy series and he still was able to do garland stuff then i think the you know volatility of his pro- projection of his evaluation within the industry would completely flip overnight uh Obviously, he's not Luke Robitaille, but interesting. Both guys who absolutely lit up the queue and then slid way farther down in the draft right. than their junior numbers. Based on and Luke's not a, a small guy by any stretch, but just f- because of other physical attributes, uh, slid way farther down in the draft than their junior scoring numbers yeah. would dictate. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John says that Kessler trade tree is depressing AF. Thanks, Drance. And we'll... 
<laughs> we'll send you uh, the Kessler trade. trade. I, I mean, and I can do worse. <laughs> That's the problem. This we'll is, save it. We've got a lot of This season. is you can't, you have to you have to reverse the the flow of value out of this organization. That's that's task number one, high level task number one. Reverse that flow, and and you can try to make the playoffs while doing that. But it's going to take two or three years of disciplined work to get this club back to a point where they've got the weaponry to improve. Uh, we we will send you out to the weekend on that note uh, of Dan and Fort St. John thanking Drance for the depressing reminder of trades gone wrong. That's why I'm here. Past. That Yay! is why he is here, buddy. Let's go. Uh, we will be back on Monday. To really officially kick off the Canucks offseason, enjoy the final and game tonight. And celebrate the 12th most successful That's season right. in franchise right. history. Yeah. Sorry, I wanted, to, I wanted to add to the depressing notes before I left. If, if they win tonight, both by points and I believe by points percentage, will be the 12th most successful season in, uh, in franchise history. Woof. Yeah. Uh, anyways, on that note, on that fun note, we <laughs> enjoy your weekend. You, we'll send you to the weekend. We'll be back on Monday. The People Show is up next at Sportsnet 650. A dumb decisions model. Yay! That's what we all want.